the Evolve to Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Hello and welcome. I am Warren Munson, founder of Inspire and Evolve. And my guest on this podcast is Becky Holston, an experienced life coach and an individual that through her own life experiences is passionate about making a difference in the world. Today we'll talk about how stress has become a kind of dangerous badge of honour. Because nobody's giving you praise, no one's giving you recognition. So your only way to start calibrating that you are um, worthy is to, to do it in a negative way. So my way, it becomes a way of getting significance in the workplace. Becky reveals that our gut is like a second brain. Because you've got over 250,000 neuroreceptors in your gut. Yeah, your gut has its own intelligence. That over control and fear of the future are primary signs of stress. If I can imagine everything that could possibly go wrong in the future and then I can control it, then I'm all right. Um, But actually, that can get out of hand quite quickly. And you then start to control things that haven't even happened. Plus, discover the amazing benefits of being in nature. You know, you can't control the waves, you can't control the mountains, you can't control the trees. So that energy, everything gives off energy. Um, You know, everything. So by putting yourself in that, you become the smaller energy. Let's get on with the show. to the Evolve to Succeed podcast and today I'm sat in uh, Becky Holston, the uh, expert on stress and anxiety and sat in her consultation room down in sunny Bournemouth. Hi Warren. Hi Becky. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you for your time in sort of coming together and enabling us to talk to you about stress which, and what is stress. Which happens to be my favourite subject Um, So it's lovely to have someone who wants to share that with me um, because normally it isn't people's favourite subject and it certainly shouldn't be. But yeah, I guess I'm a a force because I I love stress. You love stress. Oh, look at that. Look at that as an opening gambit. Becky loves stress. So I know we should become really transparent as we go through this discussion with Becky is that uh, I've used Becky in the context of managing my own kind of view of stress, view of anxiety through life, both in business and personally. So, um, you know, this is a familiar conversation um, and hopefully during the course of this conversation, you'll see perhaps how Becky has helped me as well on my own personal journey. Yeah, I think that'd be really interesting, you know, for you to share because, you know, I think from what I've seen as well from working with you, it's incredible to see your resilience. Um, and I think there's a lot for people to learn from that. Brilliant. Okay. So should we kick off with that really simple question? Well, I say it's simple, but what is stress? Which is a good question because we're all talking about stress these days. It's a big conversation and it's one I welcome. I'm really pleased that we're now talking about stress. People can say at work, I'm stressed. People can say at home, I'm stressed. But I think the downside of that is we're also disempowering ourselves by having only, you know, a conversation about stress. And we don't really know what we're talking about. So the reality is, you know, stress is a reaction to to life. 
And it's when the demands of life are greater than your resources to deal with it. Um, So for some people, they'll have great resources so that they can deal with big challenges in life. And actually, it doesn't impact them in a major way. And for others, it doesn't take much for them to become unresourceful. But from a physiological stress, you know, it's not just a mental thing, it's a physical thing too. From a physical point of view, what stress is, is the overuse of one nervous system. And that's called your sympathetic nervous system, which runs throughout your body. So your sympathetic nervous system controls something called fight or flight. So when we feel under threat, our whole chemical system, our muscles expand and fill with blood, you know, we're looking to make an exit. So the sympathetic nervous system is in charge of all of that response. So it has a big physical impact. You can feel the adrenaline kicking through your body. So sympathetic nervous system is one side of one part of the story of your nervous system. And then there's the other side, which is the parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest, relax and digest. Your whole of your digestive system is controlled in part by your sympathetic nervous system. So that's, you know, with some people, they're really stressed, they they don't eat um, or they get stomach issues. Um, So really what stress is, is when you are overusing your sympathetic nervous system. Okay. And underusing your parasympathetic nervous system. So it's that imbalance. Yes. Okay. You mentioned something there about people having resources to cope with stress and some people have got more resources than others. So what would you describe as a resource? So a resource is that even when the demands on you are really high, that you manage to still work a balance between the parasympathetic nervous system. You know, you might go to uh, work, for example, and be under demands, but as soon as you leave the office, you can switch down. Or during the day, you know, they're like brakes. It's like the brake in a pedal of a car. You know, you can't just drive everywhere with your foot flat to the floor. Um, And you also can't go everywhere with your foot on the brake. So it's about learning to transition between the two nervous systems and to start to recognize that. Okay. So that kind of, you know, that nearly that caveman syndrome is how you're describing it, isn't it? That, you know. Yeah, it's a real primitive system. And it's really important, you know, when we're under threat, it's about survival. Mm -hmm. You know, at the core, this is about survival. And you, you know, yes, a big threat to life, we should be able to automatically go into the mode that we need to be in to ensure our survival. Um, But some of the things that are currently triggering our modern day stress cycles shouldn't have access to those nervous systems. Okay. So, and have you seen an increase in those coming to you with suffering from greater anxiety and stress because of modern life? Yes, yeah, very much so. I think we're the isolated, you know, the, the, the biggest isolated generation. Um, and I think that we are getting, we've been educated a lot by the medical industry, but we haven't been educated into how to empower ourselves. Okay. So we're, we're looking now at stress as an illness when actually stress isn't, you get stress-related illnesses. And in fact, stress is behind 95% of all illnesses. Okay, so probably a slightly controversial question, but would you say that actually our, uh, the medical kind of system hasn't necessarily helped us get an understanding of what stress is and how to deal with stress because they're purely medicating against it? 
Um, yes, that that is in part too. Um, also, I think you've got you know GPs have got a really hard job. They've got fifteen minutes to sort to sort your life out. You know, and I can't do that. So, you know, and. So they've got a really hard job to try and get someone somewhere in 15 minutes. Um, it's just, you know, really not possible. So yes, um, so diagnosing someone with stress isn't the solution. No. Um, diagnosing someone with stress. So now they think they've got stress, but they don't understand that there's so much that they can do um, to change that, even if you can't change what you believe to be the cause of your stress. And I think that that's an important thing to take away. And it does challenge some people sometimes that it's very, very rare that a client comes to see me and what they think is the cause of their stress is actually the cause of that of their stress. Okay. So and from what you're saying and from my own personal experiences, there, you know, there's an assumption out there that all stress is bad. That's not necessarily the case, is it? Um, from your body's point of view, all stress is bad. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, you know, what we need to, and again, this, this comes down to everyone just saying they're stressed, just like people say that they've got anxiety. Yeah. Um, when actually anxiety is a very different thing than being afraid. No one says they're afraid anymore. Have you noticed? Yeah. Um, no one says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of public speaking. They'll just say I have anxiety. When actually anxiety is a different thing than being afraid. But back to the stress, um, I think, no, no stress is good for your body. Yeah. There is a profound difference between pressure and stress. Okay. But pressure, using the word pressure doesn't seem to get the same rewards as stress. I think particularly in the workplace, we've got a culture problem where people are now saying they're stressed, but they wear it as a badge of honor. And the higher up the tree you get, the more you tend to hear this. Yeah. Um, because nobody's giving you praise, no one's giving you recognition. So your only way to start calibrating that you are um, worthy is to, to do it in a negative way. So my way, it becomes a way of getting significance in the workplace. But do you think that's changing? Is there a generational shift here? Are we going away, and hopefully we are, from that kind of pump chest, alpha male, kind of dominated workplace where stress is, you know, it's nearly like um, the Wall Street and stuff, you know, stress is good and all of that, to a, a recognition that actually, you know, getting better work-life balance can breed greater success and stress shouldn't be in the workplace. I think there's pioneers of that, but I think that, you know, that the main, particularly in the SME market, where they might not have the budget or recognise the importance of putting budget towards well-being of their staff, you know, they mean it, you know, it could be a great leader that means it, but actually, you know, putting a budget towards it becomes, there are other things that take priority because they, nobody, nobody sees the impact of stress on their, on their bottom line. Yeah. Um, and actually, if you look at staff retention, if you look at sick time, if you look at, you know, a lot of people, the reasons that people leave work or even are signed off for stress, work-related stress, very often it's not work-related stress. But the business doesn't have the opportunity to know how to deal with that because they haven't got the right things in place. For example, a mental health first aider um, has become a really good idea to have within businesses. And that's the terminology that I'm seeing and hearing and people are putting that in place. I yeah. think it's, I suppose it's a slow take up and it'll take a while for that to have a positive impact in the workplace? Well, first of all, people have got to realise it's important. Yes, I think we're, we're starting to get away from that masculine energy burnout, which, I mean, I've seen, you know, I work with a lot of guys um, age 40 to 60, and I've seen, you know, who've been very successful in the past, and everything that they've done, basically breaking themselves to get somewhere, 
has worked in the past and has been rewarded and now it isn't yeah. and they don't know what to do so that you know when I say masculine energy we all have masculine energy with, with us it's not like a PC phrase um we all have a balance of masculine and feminine, but that drive, if you are constantly driving from your masculine energy, it means that you're not asking for help. It means you're not collaborating enough. It also means that you'll take all the burdens on your own shoulders. So, you know, that there's a big steer away from that. But to bring you back to the, the difference between pressure and stress, um, because that is profound. So pressure is short term. It's a, here's an emergency situation. I need to, to deal with this, you know it's short term. And what happens is you almost get a kick from it because your adrenaline system kicks in yeah. and you can suddenly get things done, which is where some people learn to procrastinate because they're almost trying to utilize that nervous system response to make things happen rather than doing it for the because they want to. Yeah. Um, so pressure is short term. Um, once when you say short term, what do you mean by short Well, term? It, it's, you know, it could be a few months. It okay. could be, you know, yes, certain... We're talking a moment, a few, an hour or two hour time. It can be a, a longer period of time when you're focused yeah. on achieving something and therefore you're under pressure. Sure, it can be. It depends really what you're used to. You know, your nervous system yeah. is like a muscle as well because it gets used to certain conditions. So if you think, so live television presenters, right, they are used to working under under pressure. You know, their whole nervous system, when they're when they're doing live TV, you know, the pressure is, is immense. But the minute the cameras are off, they go back into a resourceful state. Yeah. Um, you know, and the same for anyone who performs at that level, same with, you know, I used to work a lot with traders as well. So the same for them when the markets are open, their nervous system becomes part of the marketplace. Um, so that's pressure, but stress, long-term pressure can turn into stress. The difference with stress is it starts to impact your physical body and your and your men and your brain in a different way. So one of the biggest um, deciding factors is there's a part of your front of your brain, right at the front in your forehead, called your prefrontal cortex. And one of the first departments to close as a result of stress is your prefrontal cortex. Now that helps you. That little part of your brain is in charge of spotting errors. Yeah. It controls some of your emotional functions yeah. as well. And it, it, it uh, drives your ability to focus. Yeah. It's that rational piece, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and then that's what I've seen personally, is that if I know, I, know I can now recognise it from some of the work that we've done together, Becky, but I, I can see and know that when um, I am under stress, I become irrational. And now I can recognise that that's what's happening, and then I can look to go and do something about it. But for years... I thought that was just a normal state of mind, you know, um, and actually by recognising and recognising that I'm becoming less rational, I can go and do something about it and take some steps. It makes me perform better in whatever I'm doing, be that at home, be that at work. And the thing is, you now know this, yeah. you know, as all my clients start to, who are in high functioning jobs, they start to know when to catch themselves. Because, you know, I had a client recently come in. I mean, he could barely know what his name was. Um, and, you know, he's a, in a very demanding profession as a barrister. And, um, you know, that was a classic, you know, information is is big part of his job. So to find that he couldn't look for errors, he, you know, then made him feel really vulnerable. So his mental health had plummeted. And in actual fact, all, all I had to do with him 
to begin with <clears throat> is just use some techniques to help open up that prefrontal cortex, get the body out of emergency mode and reopen that prefrontal cortex. And it can just go like a switch. And suddenly you're like, ah, oh, I feel like me again. Obviously we haven't then dealt with some of the root causes yeah. of the stress, um, but his body is able to function again. So stress, that is the, the profound difference between pressure and stress. Okay. And so what are some of the common symptoms that you see of stress? Well, there's the, you know, obviously we, we when you think of someone that's stressed and when you picture them, you know, what, what do you think of? Yeah. Well, I suppose somebody that's in a state of agitation, somebody that's not being kind of rational, somebody that is biting their nails, somebody that says they're not sleeping a lot. Those are all the things that would come into mind. I mean, they're all the things that I've done over the years, but... Um, yeah, so that's what I would say was some of the things that I would say, but there must be a whole list of those. Sure. And yeah, that, you know, there are some classic ones that you've named, but some of those are, are more noticeable. Yeah. You know, you can see someone who's in a highly emotion, emotional state. You can see some, you know, perhaps the impact of someone who's not sleeping very well, you know, you know which obviously then cascades into other issues too, if you're not getting sleep. Um, you know, there's a reason they used that for torture in the war, because it doesn't doesn't do well for your health. Um, but there are some less recognizable ones. And sometimes some of the most stressed people, particularly in fellas, yeah. some of the most stressed people will not look like they are at all. Because we're taught from an early age to put on a suit of armor and go and face the world, aren't we? Yeah. So a lot of these things, um, you know, as somebody that you know really cares about his team, you know, I, I it's sometimes really difficult to see those in our business that perhaps are under stress, maybe for personal or business reasons, because some of the symptoms, as you say, aren't visible because we're taught to wear a suit of armour. Completely. And that one of the dangers. It's the biggest danger, is that super suit of armour. It's that conditioning. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, good. Everything's great. How are you? Big grin. Look, and there's a time when, you know, there's a time when you've got to remain optimistic when you're under challenge. But I think the biggest, the biggest killer is, is, is actually the unrecognized stressed. Mm -hmm. And it's the people that are suffering in silence um, and not even perhaps recognizing that some of their symptoms are stress. You know, as you said, particularly with guys, you've been conditioned for thousands and thousands of years to not show weakness. So you've learned how to, you know, when I say you, I'm not, yeah. you know, you've obviously broken free from some of the, some of these conditions too but it's to, you disengage your feelings from your mind. Yeah. So your mind can actually convince you that all is well. You know, I have many a client come, how's your stress levels? 10 being high, zero being low. Oh, I'm pretty good with stress, eight, nine. And then I'll look at their medical stuff. They're on, they're on beta blockers, you know, heart tablets, blood pressure issues. They've got eczema on their arms. You know, the body has ways of showing. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, that, that isn't recognized too, is some of the physical symptoms like eczema um, and, you know, some skin conditions, heart conditions um, also. So, you know, but gut, your gut health as well. So um, irritable bowel symptoms, you know, if you're getting yeah. bloating, if you're getting pains in your gut can often be a symptom of stress actually, um, because yeah. you've got over 250,000 neuroreceptors in your gut, which 
lot of people don't realize. Your, your, I didn't realize. Yeah, that. your gut has its own intelligence. Wow. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's a that's a podcast in itself. <laughs> your gut does have its own intelligence. Um, so, you know, your gut health is also impacted by stress too. Where do we feel fear? Very often, it's in our gut, yeah, right? I'm saying I've got that gut feeling, right? Yeah, that upsets a whole lo- whole ecosystem, you know, in in your gut, and and a lot of your well being comes from your gut health yeah. too. So uh, oversleeping, oversleeping, you know, we we look at not sleeping enough, but also oversleeping is a symptom. I wish I could do that. Of, uh, <laughs> but that's that's a bit like when you get burnout. That's just that shutdown, isn't it? You know, I'm jesting, but that that is when that that must be that your body just starts to shut down, doesn't it? Completely. And that's a different kind of shutdown than rest and recovery. You know, there's a deep sleep. I need deep sleep because I'm repairing. And, you know, a lot of my clients that come to work with me after we've switched the nervous systems and got them back where they need to be will find themselves sleeping quite heavily. And that's obviously a rest and repair sleep rather than um, a shutdown as a a result of sleep. And that's a really interesting sleep is, you know, I I get the gut health as well as well. But for me, I think sleep is a great sign because I know that if I can... You know, I get up early, I exercise, I go to bed relatively early, but if I know I can get that good seven to eight hours restful sleep, I know all's well in the world. And that's nearly become one of my prime indicators. And if it's a restless night's sleep, then I know something's out of balance. And and in the periods where it's either difficult to get sleep, I'm waking up way too early. A period when I know that I probably need to pick up the phone and come see you, Becky, <laughs> because it's then the periods when something is fundamentally out of balance. And that's a good, you know, it's a good point. That's the time to catch it, not when you get to being outwardly distraught or physically ill. Um, so nail biting too, the amount of people that I see in, in and, and also e- eating the skin round the fingers yeah. too. You know, the amount of people I see that aren't stressed and then I look at their hands and the scar tissue over their thumbs. So that's another indicator. Um, irritability is becoming irrationally irritable. When somebody's response to a situation is disproportionate to the situation that's a sign of stress you know suddenly you put your keys down you can't find them and you lose the plot um and that's an irrational response to the situation that's something else to look for in the workplace you know if someone oh so and so is kicking off again actually it might be a, a, a bit more underlying than you realize what they're responding to isn't the fact that so and so didn't do what they say they're going to do what they're responding to is feeling vulnerable from being out of control for example, um, obsessions. Um, what you can often see is obsessive thinking. Okay. So what can look like efficiency, somebody who's checking lots of things. Um, again, I see this a lot with lawyers too, when they become stressed and out of balance is they become, they lose trust in themselves. So they start checking everything yeah. or they become obsessed about certain things. That's another, um, that's another stress response too. fearing the future. It's an interesting one. So when you start to fear the future, so some that would look like procrastination. It would look like avoiding making future plans. It would look like, um, I mean, anxiety is the biggest symptom of fearing the future because you're afraid of what, what you're afraid of the unknown at this point. So you will try and backpedal against life, um, and that's you know that's a that's a tough battle to get into. Yeah, it is, isn't it? That must be a really hard place to get. Yeah, get that positivity back. And- and get into a good place again if you've gone to that point. For sure. But for, for any, you know, over-controlling yeah. situations, you know, and I think that's a big humanity issue that we have. We don't have as children in the same way, but, you know, over-controlling is another response of stress. 
and it's a bit it's a bit like fear of the future so if i can imagine everything that could possibly go wrong in the future and then i can control it then i'm all right okay um but actually that can get out of hand quite quickly and you then start to control things that haven't even happened um, and that becomes a full job before you then and go do your full-time yeah, job. Do your full-time job, yeah. So if we've got people listening to this podcast and they are recognising some of those symptoms, how can they start to... Because seeing the symptoms is one thing, Becky, but actually understanding what is the root cause of that? Because... There are so many things that be, could be the root, root cause of that stress. And I assume it's, and from my own personal experiences, again, it's a bit like peeling the onion. The first thing that you come to is, well, that's my root cause of my stress. Isn't really the, the root cause. And you've kind of got to dig a bit deeper to find that root cause. How can people do that? So just before we come on to the root cause, I'm going to highlight a couple of other symptoms which some people would think were the root cause. Okay. Um, but actually, very often they're not. Um, and that is, obviously, for some people, they're, they're numbing, so they're drinking a lot or yeah. smoking more or gambling. So or, it's addictive things. Yeah, so they're using addiction to numb or, you know, tech. They're up playing, you know, word search games till 3 a.m. Um, and then getting up at 6 so, you know, loss of concentration, muscle pains as well. But depression, depression can often be a symptom of stress. Whereas a lot of people might think that it was the cause of stress. Okay. Um, and being manic as well. Some people become really manic when they're stressed. They do the opposite of depression. Um, and panic, attack, panic attacks, but also heart palpitations too. Okay. Heart palpitations are very common. Um, more so I see in guys as a result of stress because that's when they're mental mentally they're strong but their heart is saying no not really i'm afraid yeah i can't do that you know i'm I'm over operating so again so these are all symptoms but when my work you know a lot of people would would work with the depression they would say that that was the problem but my approach and that of many others is different and in my experience what i have found is very often the root cause of stress is things like um, trauma. So it is, you know, for example, being when someone was bullied at school, actually gave them a fear of confrontation. So now they're finding themselves at board level, for example, and it's a, you know, and, and it's a bit of a dog eat dog environment. Actually, it's triggering that old stuff. Um, even though they're a resourceful, you know, strong man, the, the trigger makes them feel vulnerable. I'd say one of the biggest triggers of stress is things that we feel that are out of our control. Okay. And when we feel out of our control, we then feel vulnerable. And we do not know how to deal with feeling vulnerable as a resource that it is as humans. Okay. Um, So fear of the future is a big one. Um, Fear of confrontation. Fear of loss, I think, is often behind the root cause of someone's stress. It's a fear of losing their job, fear of losing their identity. Yeah. You know, if you, if you are your job, which most entrepreneurs are yeah. as well, then anything that goes wrong, the threat of that, it, you aren't just losing your business or the fear of losing your business. It's the fear of losing your identity. Yeah. Like, who am I when, if I'm not this? So fear of loss is a huge contributor to stress. Okay. Um, and also the, 
losing losing people like losing people's respect okay um so if if we're in a situation we're going to make some tough decisions and not everyone's going to like those decisions um that's going to be triggering you know actually am i worthy a lack of self-worth can often be a um, driver of stress because if i don't feel good enough and the my life is mirroring that I'm not good enough because things perhaps haven't gone according to plan, then you are instantly in an unresourceful state, and then you can, and then you'll get stressed. Yeah. So these are you know, there's clearly from this conversation a, a fundamental difference, isn't there, between those symptoms and those root causes? Very and much so. It's about somebody having to they're seeing the symptoms, you know, go find help or, you know, look internally themselves to understand what some of those root causes may be. Completely. Like, for example, some people say, well, you're drinking too much. That's the root cause of your stress. Yeah. But it's not. The, 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 the drinking too much is being used as a numbing tool the for the to, root cause yeah, problem. Root cause. And very often the root causes lie in childhood trauma. Okay. Um, which, which most people can't connect that to. They can't connect that the reason they are a 43-year-old man that's having anger problems um, is down to, you know, childhood trauma. And that can be catalogued, you know, from bullying to neglect to growing up in a violent household to, um, you know, not getting fundamental safety needs met as a child. And I know that sounds really awkward, um, you know, to, to link that back. But, you know, that that is the reality. You know, our nervous system learns these programs at a really young age and it keeps reacting to them. You know, we learn how to not listen to them. We learn how to perhaps upgrade some of those systems. Um, but the, the impact of the fear of loss in particular, um, you know, goes goes on through a lifetime. And unless you find ways to, to start to change that. Them, yeah. yeah finally, fundamentally recognise it and do something about it. Completely. Um, so, yes, while everyone says I've got work stress, because, yes, sometimes the demands are really, really high. But where's someone's ability to say no? Where's your self-care? You know, that's the other thing. If, if you're demanding, you know, I, having worked with athletes as well, business people are athletes. But what we don't do, we don't, we don't match our self-care to our output. Yeah. So we do burn out. So the other solution is to look at your self-care. And if your demands are really high, then your self-care needs to be really high too. And it's a really interesting observation, isn't it? Because if you look at any professional performer, singer, actress, um, or you look at professional sports people, the thing that they have around them constantly is coaches. And the thing they're consistently always doing is improving their skills and, and their self-awareness and getting better at what they do. And I think um, in becoming an entrepreneur, founder, growing and running a business, we get to that point where we do that and how many of us just get lost in the day job and forget about that self-care, that self-development and being able to make that next step to become that better business owner and actually be able to grow as the business grows with it. And I think, you know, and it the same happens in corporate life, you know, business leaders generally, you know, they get to this position and actually the job demands so much that they forget that actually personal self-development is what got them there and therefore it needs to continue. 
Um, but just touching that point of, you know, you talk about that you've used this word a few times in the last few minutes around self-care. Yeah. So what would you describe as self-care? It's an individual prescription, um, but self-care is when you give yourself time. But we've, we've gotten some really bad habits where we give ourselves time, but we're checking our phones 150 times a day with it. That isn't the same. There's a difference between rest and relaxation, which is that parasympathetic nervous system and distraction. And I think we've got a big problem with thinking distraction is relaxation. And the difference is calculated by the nervous system. You know, there's a time when sitting watching a box set in on Netflix is does activate your parasympathetic nervous system. Then there's another time when it's just distraction. And you know because you're physically fidgety. Yeah. You're not in the moment, you're not present, and you're not connecting with what's going on. You're not connecting at home. You're not connecting in the workplace. You're already on the next thing. Um, you know, look at I think some of the biggest threats to business aren't calculated until they're too late. If you think of, you know, Steve Jobs, for example, his biggest threat to business wasn't his leadership skills. It was his health. Mm-hmm. You know, look at Tiger Woods, his performance. Yeah. You know, it wasn't his um, golf game that gave his career a bit of a hiatus. Yeah. It was his lack of emotional development. So... Self-neglect is prevalent in the entrepreneurial environment. Um, So self-care is, you know, it's taking a walk. For some people, self-care is going to the gym. For others, it's still running that addiction program. Yeah. You know, it doesn't activate that um, sympathetic nervous, sorry, parasympathetic nervous system response. It's actually continuing to burn more, burn more, burn more. Um, Just keeping that adrenaline running. But then trying to find a way of switching the adrenaline off. That's right, because you you lose you you stop being friends with rest and relaxation. So rest and relaxation starts to be calculated as a threat. Don't stop, don't stop. You know how often do I? I mean, I hear that a lot. I've just kept going and kept going and kept going. Um, but at some point, that you know that's what burnout where burnout comes from, which is a real thing. So self care. You know, for me, going to the gym is self care. I know when it's self care and I know when it's numbing, and I can see the difference. Um, it is spending time in nature. You know, nature, I know it sounds a bit wind chimey, but, um, you know, nature is a profound energy. You can stand there and control all you like. Are you going to make the waves change pattern? Yeah. No. So I'm going to laugh here. And um, if McKenna and the girls are here, they would probably have fits of laughter because, you know, I, I cycle a lot, but I actually um, love going to the mountains. So the Alps, the Swiss Alps, French Alps, with my bike. Um, with some friends or just on my own <laughs> sometimes but just being in nature being in that environment is just just it absolutely takes me down three or four steps and I don't know why I don't can never quite understand it but yeah I, I, can, I can absolutely agree with what you're saying because we can't control it yeah. right and for some for people who have been conditioned to have to be in control of everything because the consequences are you know x amount of people lose their jobs you know you can't meet the payroll whatever it is 
just to get back to being um, subservient to something releases your burdens. So I think nature is a greater force. And if you can spend time grounding yourself in nature, um, you know, you can't control the waves, you can't control the mountains, you can't control the trees. So that energy, everything gives off energy, um, you know, everything. So by putting yourself in that, you become the smaller energy. And that makes you, you know, gives you a weird sense of safety once you submit to it. Yeah. Okay. So any other kind of tips on reducing stress? Yeah. Um, let go. Yeah. What do I need to let go of? What do I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing? You know, get off the hamster wheel and actually start to look at where your time is going. You know, I worked out the other day that if, you know, you know, if I'm lucky and I do, you know, life is good, I've got 44 summers left of my life. 44 Christmases. You know, actually, what's important to me, you have to get back to basics of looking at what's important to you because you don't, you know, especially as a busy entrepreneur, you avoid looking at what's important to you. So it is a, you know, what's important to your business, what are your business values? Everyone can rattle those off or should be able to. But what are your values? What's important to you in life? Get back to basics, you know? How many people's biggest business threat hasn't been business, it's been their divorce. Yeah. But also the greatest way- I just interject, it's one of the most powerful exercises. You know, we've got 30 workbooks within the Evolved Coaching and Development Program, but the most powerful one is a really simple kind of, you know, common life coaching wheel that just says, right, here's a wheel with eight segments. Mm. Right on that wheel, the most eight important things in your life. And clearly business will be there, but personal's there. And, and there's some common themes that come out. And then just score those from one to ten on how you're performing in those areas. And then, then there's an exercise about how you improve in each of the areas. But that simple exercise of just drawing a circle, putting it into eight segments, and write down things that are important to you in your life, and then start to score them, makes you realise that actually... Have I got my priorities right at the moment? Where's the imbalance? You know, it, you know, you don't want it's going to be impossible for everything to score a ten, but you don't want the personal stuff to be really low and the business stuff to be really high, or vice versa. Completely. And actually, it's about getting life in balance, isn't it? So, um, and then if you can repeat that exercise every three months and just reflect on where you are now and where you were, it's the sort of thing that would help, isn't it? Oh, really? You know, and that's a, that's a great, great suggestion and very powerful. Where that goes wrong sometimes is the person doesn't prioritise themselves in the first place to make the time. I haven't got time to do that, you know? I haven't got time to look at myself when you can't afford not to look at yourself. Um, but the, the, the best way to deal with stress initially um, and then obviously get help to deal with some of the root causes, especially if, you know, anything that we've talked about on this podcast has sort of triggered some, some things that got you thinking, is, um, is to change the nervous systems. Now, even when the, the challenges that you're facing can't be changed, so for example, you know, an illness or someone, a loved one being ill, you know, perhaps you can't do anything about that, um, you can change how you respond to it. And this is where people don't, don't understand how much power they really have. So, I mean, you know, myself, you know, I've been through cancer a number of times. It's a challenging time. It's a very stressful, particularly when you're a business owner too, um, with a, in, a, in a business model where you sell your time. Yeah. Um, yes, I know it's a rubbish model, but I love, I love what I do. Um, 
you know, even though when I was going through that, yes, it was stressful and I could see my adrenal systems, you know, I was able to observe how my body went into crisis with that news. It was really quite interesting in one way and traumatic in other ways. But you can learn to manage those systems by learning some little nifty tricks to flip how your nervous system is behaving. So understandably at that time, my, my nervous system went into panic. You know, looking at me, you wouldn't have seen panic. You would have seen, you know, someone very calm and collected um, because I'd learned how to put my, you know, that's how I've always dealt with challenge. But the reality was I was waking up at 3 a.m. like in a start so I needed to, but I know this. So I was like, right, my nervous system isn't dealing with this well. I need to manage the shock. So I need to show my nervous system how to be calm. So one of the best ways is available to everybody and it's free. It is? Yeah, 100% free. And we're doing it all the time, but we're just not knowingly doing it. And that's breathing. Okay. And, you know, breathing is a big buzzword, but most people aren't explaining that it's about flipping the nervous systems. So our, there's a technique very simple called box breathing. Okay. And so imagine the, um, a square and you breathe up for the count of, I normally say about six, but you can increase it, find a comfort level with, with your breathing. Yeah. And then, so you breathe in for the count of six, hold for the count of six, and then exhale for the count of six. And then breathe in for the count of six. Hold for the count of six. And exhale for the count of six. A really simple technique, isn't it? Right. And so it's a technique that you have, um, you taught me in the very early days and it's one that I carry with me all the time. And I can just feel yeah, the nervous system's out of balance and it can just, we adjust in that moment. And it's as simple as that, because when your brain is in emergency mode, just like when a machine's in emergency mode, it'll shut down various functionalities. So the way to get those open again is to bring oxygen in, because also when we're stressed, we hold our breath. Yeah. You know, we, most people aren't breathing properly anyway. So then put demands on them and they're breathing even less. So you can help yourself by using your physiology to, make sure that you're staying the right side of pressure and not over into stress. Fantastic. Thank you, Becky. Uh, I always enjoy spending time with you, Becky. I always go and leave your consultation room um, better enlightened, better knowledge and I think a better person. So I hope you listeners have enjoyed that conversation with Becky Holston today around you know, recognising what stress actually is and some of the symptoms and some of the causes, but what you can also do. If people want to learn more about you, Becky, and, and what you do, where can they find you? They can find me at Becky Holston, um, and that's B-E-C-K-I-H-O-U-L-S-T-O-N.co.uk. Perfect. Thank you, Becky. Thank you. I do hope you enjoyed that insightful discussion with Becky. It certainly gave me a reminder of what stress actually is and that there's a significant difference between stress and pressure. Importantly, it also reminded me of the need to develop better self-awareness and self-care in stressful situations and that this is imperative to all business leaders. The personal help that I received from Becky has certainly assisted me on my own journey 
It's one of the reasons that I'm so excited that Becky is now a collaborator with Evolve. If you want access to further insightful content and inspiration, then please do go to evolvemembers.com and register for free to get access to the Evolve community.